Drawn and Paneled is the comic book showcase podcast from Gen X Grown Up. Every Wednesday, we bring you news, reviews, interviews, insight, and commentary on the comic books we love from the golden age to the modern age. We love to hear from our podcast listeners, so write to us at podcast at drawnandpaneled.com. And if you enjoy what we do, please take a moment to support us by becoming one of our patrons at patreon.com slash genxgrownup. Welcome back, Drawn and Panel podcast listeners, to episode 29 mm. of the Drawn and Paneled podcast. With me, as always, today is Rachel. Hello. And John is here. Hey there. Today's podcast is our back issue edition, which, as I'm sure you're aware, is the episode where we like to take a single comic character or story arc from the 70s, 80s, or 90s and dig in deep. In today's episode, the Master of Mutants joins the Master of Ninjas in Wolverine's first solo series replete with romance intrigue and mayhem brought to you by comic legends chris claremont and frank miller but first (laughs) (laughs) is it listener email time it is listener email time john has finally picked up on that cue (laughs) today's listener email comes from longtime listener and writer inner will be (laughs) that thing writer inner i like it i don't know it is now you've got fourth listener on gen x run up i've got writer inner i don't know (laughs) will be says as always thanks for putting out such an enjoyable show i do think however uh uh-oh uh oh. <laughs> you guys dropped the ball with the Howard the Duck number 13 episode. Now, that makes a lot of sense because I wasn't here for that episode. <laughs> so, I mean, if you guys dropped the ball, it's not a John thing. No. Nope. Okay, fine. John's <laughs> absolving himself of all culpability. Let's hear episode. what you guys did. Just, not on just reprehensibly. <laughs> Will goes on to say, I'm not sure what your criteria are for selecting back issues, but choosing this one based on it being the first comic book appearance of a band who haven't been relevant in more than 40 years seems a little off. I don't know. Gene Shame. Simmons had that live show about his family and stuff. That he kept did, a right? Relevant. So he's a little relevant. I mean, we picked it mainly because it's from Generation X, and I use Key Collector Comics sometimes to help me figure out a book that we should pick because it's sometimes difficult to figure out, uh, you know, we're trying to do single issues because it's a little bit easier to review in one episode as opposed to giant story arcs that take up 12 issues and you can't really delve into the stuff that happens in each issue that way. Uh, so I just looked it up on Key Collector. It said it was the first appearance of Kiss, and Kiss is a band that I remember from the 70s, 80s, <laughs> 90s era. So that's why I picked it. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot of chatter to explain that you screwed the pooch. But go okay, ahead. fine. Oh, oh, fair. <laughs> I feel like this is going to be a theme today. (laughs) (laughs) Will continues, Howard the Duck is a fascinating book, but not one that reads well as random single issues. Steve Gerber used the book as a long-form commentary on the culture of the 1970s and gave it metatextual elements that weren't common in comics until decades later. Howard the Duck number 16, for instance, isn't a comic at all, but an illustrated prose piece in which Gerber discussed his own issues as a writer and the aspirations he had for the character of Howard. Which is really cool, but from the perspective of someone who wants to be able to just pick up a comic and not go 14 issues back to figure out what's going on, I I don't know if I totally agree with this point there. Well, and especially because we're talking about when this book came out in the 70s, 80s, whatever it was. I forget the year that it came out. Most of the time, as young people, John, you remember, we would find these comic books on the spinner racks in the grocery store, right? And you weren't always getting issues in 
order. Tom you know, was never getting them in order. Right. <laughs> you get issue number five, then a few weeks later when you had to go back and get bread, you get issue number eight or something like that. And where the hell they two were always, come from? Look at this. Yeah. <laughs> and there would be one that would have a cover ripped on it, but it was a character you liked, you know, so you'd go ahead and grin and bear it anyway. But yeah, I mean, I think Rachel's right. They kind of need to stand alone as single issues, especially in this case, if he's going to use them as commentary pieces, right? Mm-hmm. Especially back when you couldn't just Google the rest of the issues. Yes, exactly. Uh, Will finishes out by saying, I don't doubt that this issue probably wasn't a great read without any context for what Howard the Duck was about, but the series is legitimately one of the best comics of the 1970s, and Steve Gerber was a thoughtful, gifted writer. I'd hate to see people discouraged from diving into the series or any of Gerber's other notable works, especially DC's Hard Time and Marvel's Fool Killer and Omega the Unknown. In any case, keep up the good work. Well, I don't think we, I hope we didn't discourage anybody from reading Howard the Duck on its own, um, you know, if as the series or from Gerber's work, because I'm not trying to discredit the man. Obviously, he had a long and distinguished career, which we talked about during the Creator Info segment of that episode. Mm-hmm. But that particular one single issue of Howard the Duck just it didn't deliver on the promise of being the introduction of Kiss, which was what the biggest problem I had with the book was. Yeah. Well, I'll keep an eye on guys now that I'm back from my small brief hiatus. <laughs> I'll keep an eye on them and make sure they don't denigrate any more of your favorite books if I can help it. I, I, I apologize on behalf of George. And- oh, <laughs> well, aren't we glad we have you back? Oh, Superman, thank goodness you've arrived. How did you know? No time for answers now, Lois. I've got to find out what's causing this strange behavior in our fish population. Hey there, Drawn and Paneled podcast listener. I want to take just a second to tell you about something you didn't know you were missing. I'm John, and along with Mo. Hey, everybody. And George. Hey, how's it going, guys? We are Gen X Grown Up. Gen X Grown Up is a website, YouTube channel, and audio podcast by and for Generation Xers, kids of the late 70s and early 80s who may have grown older but have refused to grow up. Every week on our podcast, we cover media, games, tech, toys, comics, games, and pop culture of yesterday and today through the eyes of guys who grew up loving that stuff. And every other week, we do a backtrack where we pick a single nostalgic topic from our youth and dig in deep. You can find us anywhere you listen to your podcasts or find us right on our website at genxgrownup.com. If you're a Generation Xer or know someone who is, I hope you'll check out Gen X Grown Up. Your dinner cannot just be french fries. Basically, life sucks as a grown up. As you said, George, we're looking into this Wolverine Volume 1, Number 1. First uh, chance uh, Wolverine got a chance to get out on his own in his own book. Uh, Before we get into the characters and the story, though, let's give credit where credit is due and talk about the folks that put this thing together. And we'll start with the writer who, George, you already mentioned was Chris Claremont. Uh, Yes. He he wrote this, but he also was known for writing uh, X-Men, Captain Britain, Excalibur, and the New Mutants. Mm -hmm. And uh, so no slouch when it comes to uh, working on the X-Men. And of course... Wolverine was already in the X-Men before he had this, so it makes sense that he would uh, sure. have carried over to doing this one. I don't know much about the new mutants, though. Are they uh, like the X-Men? Are they different mutants? Or are they are they what they sound no, like? They're so more mutants. Think of, <laughs> think of them as a spinoff. So it's kind of like um, All in the Family to the Jeffersons. Oh, so moving on up. Okay. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're kind of, <laughs> they became the next wave of the mutant teams, and they were a younger generation than the X-Men were. So, and there's actually going to be a new mutant movie 
coming up pretty soon. So that New Mutants number one issue has jumped up and down in price over the last year quite often. Every time there's an announcement about, oh, it's going to happen in July of 2019 or February 2020, the book suddenly skyrockets on eBay prices. So if you have New Mutants number one, it's a book to hold on to for a little while. Whenever I hear the name Chris Claremont, it, it, it invokes for me the game Castlevania, the old classical NES, the franchise. Because okay. I think the and vampire awesome hero series. in that was, wasn't he named Claremont or some vampire in there was? No, Just, the, uh, uh, the vampire the hunter. Ah, that's see, that's why it makes me think of that. Okay. But Chris Claremont <laughs> was not a vampire hunter. He was the writer of this book. And a fun fact, he also co-wrote a science fiction trilogy titled The Chronicles of the Shadow War, uh, along with Star Wars creator George Lucas. Oh, wow. Ooh. That's that's pretty cool. So he ain't half stepping it. He's keeping busy. <laughs> now that we've talked about the writer, let's move on to the artist. Frank Miller, one of my personal favorite comic book artist. Um, yeah. He's done The Dark Knight Returns, 300, Sin City, like beautiful work. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, his stuff is up there in the upper echelons of the comic book artist world. He Mount Rushmore of comic artists, he's definitely on that list. Oh, yeah, for sure. Fun fact, a letter he wrote to Marvel Comics was published in The Cat Number 3, April 1973, when he was 16 years old. So he and I are equally famous. We've both been published our letters in the back of the book. <laughs> you know, yes. I was thinking yeah. about that, John. <laughs> I was reading that. I was like, so John and Frank Miller have some same comic book cred to yeah, their we're, we're belts, tight. you know? We're tight. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he just moved on to become comic book royalty. <laughs> and John is Gen X grown-up royalty. So there you. you go. There's Thank another you. tie. Thank you so I'm much. trying. <laughs> <laughs> the inker on Wolverine was Joe Rubenstein. Notable books that he inked also Warlock, the official handbook of the Marvel Universe, and the poor man's Transformers, the Micronauts. <laughs> right, yeah. We talked about that before. <laughs> I always, you know, the poor man's Transformers, the Micronauts, I always thought of the GoBots as the Kmart version of the Transformers, especially after the uh, Clerks number two movie that Kevin Smith did. There was a mm -hmm. whole line and segment in there where they did that. But I think you're right. Micronauts were even a lower version. Oh, they were right. lower than the GoBots. <laughs> so if the GoBots were the Kmart, then Micronauts is a dollar store. There you go. Yeah, Fair think. enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it was beautifully inked, though. I'm not denigrating the man's work. I'm just saying the Micronauts are crap. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm going for. <laughs> Despite being the uh, inker on the, uh, the crappy faux Transformers, uh, you should know that Mr. Rubenstein actually holds a Guinness Book World Record for inking more artists than any other inker. Well, oh. and you know where that comes from? It comes from his work on the official handbook of the Marvel Universe. John, you might have a tie-in. I know you probably never read it, but what do you think something titled the official handbook of the Marvel Universe might be related to from our youth growing up? Sounds a lot like the uh, like the old Star Trek uh, books that we had, like the Bible of what was in the show or the uh, technical manuals or whatever, right? Sure, a little bit. Um, uh, think more generic. Hmm. What was something that we could buy from door-to-door -door salesmen back in the day? I actually oh, used to get Oh, encyclopedias you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> talking about That's my exactly fucking Wagnalls. Yep. Yeah, you <laughs> lost you with door-to-door -door salesmen. Encyclopedias. Right. They did, though. Door-to-door <laughs> -door salesmen back in the day would come in and try to sell you a set of encyclopedias before we had computers and Google and everything else. And that's what the official handbook of the Marvel Universe is. It's an encyclopedia of all the characters and storylines of the entire Marvel Universe. And Joe Rubenstein is the inker on that entire series. So Which that's includes why everyone who would have drawn. Yeah, Everybody. right. Exactly. <laughs> not a Guinness World Record he's going to give up anytime soon. Yeah, most no, likely not. No, probably not. not. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. By the way, I didn't get my uh, Funkin' Wagnalls from the door-to-door salesman. My mom got them proudly at Winn-Dixie once per week. Yep. And we got ours from Publix once per week. There you go. <laughs> Before we get out of the creator segment, you know I have to talk about my favorite artist of all comic books, and that is the letterer. Tracer? In yeah, no, that's no, well, the inker. That's, that's the, the one you just I talked did the, about. I did the tracer. <laughs> you did the tracer. Did I, I'm well, doing we the have letterer. established I don't know what I'm talking about, right? Okay, good, good. <laughs> we're good. <laughs> so the letterer on this book was Tom Orjakowski. It's, it's who now? Say, say his name again. I, I'm not going to try that again. You know I can't get these last things right half the time. <laughs> uh, his notable books or characters are the Uncanny X-Men which makes sense considering this is a Wolverine mm-hmm. book. And he actually did quite a lot of work on Spawn back oh, in the day. with McFarlane, yeah? Yes, absolutely. Look now, at me name dropping like I know something. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Tom's fun fact is that he has lettered nearly 6,000 pages of Chris Claremont's scripts. Wow. Mm. Can you imagine that? I mean, there's 20, 20-ish plus pages per comic book. 6,000 of Chris Claremont's works have all been lettered by Tom. I'm not even going to try. Tom O. (laughs) Tom O. (laughs) And that's an incredible feat. He's known for his letters being very square and symmetrical and being the same every time except for one letter. And that's the I. The I, for whatever reason, he does it slightly differently all the time, every time he writes it. But all the other letters are symmetrical and square. He's also known for doing some of the very first really convincing bubble work on things like Demon Speak, where it's like the bubble that kind of drips down the page. Ooh, that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. I love uh-huh. that I've effect. Yeah. So, I mean, he's he's done quite a bit for letterers in the day. Well, like great filmmakers who find like a kind of a stable of uh, actors and producers and uh, videographers they like to work with. I'm sure that the same holds true for writers. If they find somebody that does their artwork or their letters well, you're going to stick with them. That's probably why Tom has such a prolific uh, uh, repertoire of work right along with Chris. Well, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. especially because, you know, you you develop that relationship and that trust, right? Like Chris knows that what he writes, that Tom is always going to give it that extra little boost with the lettering. So yeah. I imagine that, you know, that's a big factor of it, like you're saying. Nightcrawler, my little Tavarish, you're not dead after all, no? <laughs> I would hope not. But I would have been, if not for Kitty Pride. All right. Now that we've gotten into the amazing creators, so let's talk a bit about who they created. <laughs> um, obviously, we're going to talk about Wolverine, created by Roy Thomas, Len Way- Wayne. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm doing it too. Uh-huh. And, it's not just me. And John Romita Sr. Not junior, but senior. Yes, yep. Which is a big distinction. And the first appearance was in the Incredible Hulk 180. Yeah, that's really cool because most people think that the first Wolverine appearance was in an X-Men comic book. I would have thought that. But it wasn't. No. No, it was in an Incredible Hulk issue. Very hard to find, too. (laughs) Yes, it's one of the rare ones. So what makes Wolverine so special, Rachel? Well, let me tell you. His abilities. He has uh, superhuman senses and animal-like attributes, healing factor, and an adamantium skeleton with retractable adamantium claws. He is also a master martial artist. Well, and that's something that kind of got retconned with this series because before this, he was more of a berserker character, which we're going to talk a little bit about during the story. Mm -hmm. But yeah, his whole martial arts thing didn't develop until this series came out. Can somebody quickly tell me what the heck is adamantium and why does he have it instead of bones? So he does have bones 
adamantium just kind of encases his bones. His bones are kind of laced with it because okay. of an experiment done on him by the group Weapon X, right? Yeah. Originally, when he was first born, he just had regular bones and he grew and developed to the age that he is. And he has held for like 130 years. Yeah, I think that he, healing how old he is, is at this amazing. point. Okay. Exactly. So he gets to adulthood and then he holds that. But then they get a hold of him and because of his healing factor, they know they can do this experiment where they want to see if they can add this unbreakable metal, which is stronger than steel. It's stronger than oak or whatever else you yeah. want to throw at that phrase. <laughs> but he has it only because they injected it into him. So it's not that it replaces his bones. It's just encompassing his bones. Okay, yeah. It's protecting his internals. Okay. Exactly. His claws were bone okay. and now they're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> huh. All right. Fun fact: um, the Scottish actor Doug Ray Scott was the close enough. Cool. <laughs> was the first person cast as Wolverine, but he was doing Mission Impossible Two, where he played the bad guy Sean Ambrose. Um, the shooting for that overran, and Fox was forced to recast the part with Hugh Jackman. <laughs> what a happy accident, <laughs> right? I mean, I've, I've taken a look at the guy, you know, that they're talking about, Doug Ray Scott, and I've seen him in other films. There's no way he would have done nearly as much justice to the role of Wolverine as Hugh Jackman had did. The only big complaint that most comic book fans have had about Hugh Jackman being Wolverine is the height difference. He's too Hugh tall. Hugh Jackman is 6'2", yep. <laughs> and Wolverine is traditionally like 5'3". Yeah. In the comic books. So, <laughs> other than that, you know, he's been great as far as I'm concerned. One of the other really interesting characters in this book uh, was Mariko Yoshida. Uh, she was created by Chris Claremont and John Byrne. Uh, her first appearance, not in this book, however, was actually in Un Uncanny X-Men number 118. And I think that's evident by the fact that this book starts out with the fact that he already, Wolverine, I should say, already knows and loves Mariko in this yeah, book. Yeah, there's mm -hmm. some backstory and baggage before we begin this book, right? So exactly. she had to be around. Yeah. Now, she's just a regular human in this book, so she really doesn't have any abilities. Yawn. Uh, she, <laughs> she does in other alternate universes. One of her huh. fun facts is that on Earth 2109, she actually becomes the superhero Sunfire and a member of the group, the Exiles. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, you know, she in this book, she's she's definitely human only. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes on that we'll talk about during the story. But it's nice to know that they take that alternate universe thing and give her some other abilities and everything. So and of course, another key character who features prominently in this book is uh, Mariko's father, Lord Shinjin. Yes. Uh, not surprisingly, <laughs> also created by Chris Claremont and Frank Miller. Uh, and his first appearance is right here. You're seeing it, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Volume one, issue number one of Wolverine, right? Yep. Right here. And, and he's not just a boring old human, happily, I will tell you. He is highly intelligent. He's in peak physical condition, master swordsman, and martial artist. So he's basically an old Bruce Lee. Yes, he is. That's a good description. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. And an interesting little nugget of trivia about Lord Shinjin is uh, he appeared in the 2013 film, The Wolverine. But in that one, he's portrayed as Mariko's brother who tries to kill her. Yeah. Yeah. Not so in that father. one, they took this storyline and they bastardized the whole thing. Thing and they changed it around and that's what films oh. do yeah, but <laughs> I mean, most of the time we've had a lot of good film adaptations of comic book stories. However, we've also had quite a few bad ones like Dark Phoenix, Ugh. you know, one of recent memory. We don't talk about Dark Phoenix. Uh, I, would say, <laughs> <laughs> I would say that other than Dark Phoenix, this may be the worst adaptation of a comic book story that has been put to film in the modern era. 
It was really bad. It's terrible when they get a whole bunch of really good actors and throw mm-hmm. them in something terrible because you know it's not their fault. <laughs> well, except for that they signed the contract. Other yeah, than that. Unfortunately for them. <laughs> <laughs> the Batman and Robin race to the pier and find a metal box with wires leading from it to explosives in the boat. On the box are seven levers labeled with the letters A through G. And below the levers, a sign with the riddle, what letter is like an escape? Very funny. Don't talk, think. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to dig into one of my favorite story arcs from the 1980s that I read growing up in middle school. 1982's Wolverine Volume 1, Issue Number 1. This was the very first solo title for Wolverine. I remember picking this up at the local comic book shop here in my hometown when I was a young lad and <laughs> going, holy crap, where is the next part of the story? When I read reread this issue for this podcast, I immediately started reading Issue number two right after because I didn't even realize I was like oh crap I already finished number one and I was reading number two I love the whole thing I mean Wolverine is just one of the most awesome characters in the Marvel Universe he's probably maybe third down the line of popularity behind Spider-Man and Captain America mm-hmm. yeah. yeah I mean he's he's super popular we know he's grossed a billion dollars or more in the different films that have come out from Fox Studios and hopefully will be coming out from the Marvel Disney group now that they have the rights as we talked about about last week, but I'm just curious to know, did you guys read this book back in the day? Rachel, I know you weren't even I in existence born, yet, so probably so no. not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this one was brand new to me. This is, uh, as I've had the distinction of saying several times here on the show, uh, I said it for Superman. I said it for some other ones. This is the very first Wolverine comic book I have ever read. First Wolverine of any kind. No X-Men, no nothing. Nope. Never read an X-Men. Never read a Wolverine. Wow. Yeah. How yeah. did you never live? Never read a book from, I, I mean, I've seen him. <laughs> I've seen the book. Did you live? I just, I just. <laughs> it just, I, I've never read a, an issue cover to cover about Wolverine. I mean, I flipped through something. And I've, you know, I'm aware of his existence. Of course, I know the character and I know Logan. Uh, but yeah, I had never, certainly not this book and uh, n- none actually. I found out something interesting, like a fun fact about the story. Um, okay. This is when Wolverine's catchphrase gets coined. The I'm the best at what I do, but what I do is not very nice. <laughs> That's very true. Yeah. Oh. This is the first time he says that. It's on like, it's page one, panel three or mm-hmm. two or something and like that. And he says that. it I mean, like very four more on. times. Yeah, right. You know, I he, didn't know that was his catchphrase. I just thought his catchphrase was, hey, bub. That was, that, well, that's, that's one of his catchphrases as well. Yeah, that's, that's also. Uh, he has multiple ones because he's Wolverine and he's awesome. He deserves, <laughs> he deserves multiple it. catchphrases. Yeah. You know, just like The Rock. He has a whole bunch of, you know, I'm going to lay the smack down on your candy ass to the eyebrow raise, you know, the rock, the Wolverine, they're Can both you smell awesome. smell what the Wolverine is cooking. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that I really liked that they did a nice little throwback to the development of the Wolverine character. So from Hulk issue number 180, all the time up until this point, Wolverine has been portrayed as a berserker, mm-hmm. right? That's what mm-hmm. his whole thing is. He just, he goes in there and he goes crazy and slash, 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 stinkity, 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 and everybody's dead. That's Wolverine, <laughs> right. right? But in this case, they retconned him just a little bit to have a heavy samurai martial arts influence like Rachel was mentioning earlier during the character segment Mm -hmm. but he still gets to use that phrase he calls the bear a berserker and I thought that was a nice little phrase he's tracking this bear in the Canadian wild country that's you know killing humans inexplicably and he has to go down and basically dispose of the 
animal to protect the humans in the area. And don't forget, in case you weren't aware, Wolverine is Canadian. Yes. So that's why <laughs> he's he? in the Canadian Rockies. Yes, okay. he is. Absolutely. Right. So beauty. I found that that nice little throwback was a nice homage to the original character. And they still took it in a direction that I loved as a kid and now with the whole martial arts thing. And you get the sense that he kind of relates to the bear, you know, as he's mm-hmm. tracking it when he goes to finally fight it and that he understands a bit about it and going nuts and not being in control. So they kind of nod back to that it happened to him, but somehow he cleaned up, matured up. You know, that's the sense I got. Yeah. No, well, like, like like he evolved out of being that maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, possibly. It's, it's interesting that he has more empathy with animals than he does with humans. If you think about it, whenever he's around humans, he's totally dismissive. They're not worth his time or he'd just rather kill him as look at him. But when it comes to animals, like he does in this book with the bear and later on we'll see with other animals, he empathizes with them. He communicates with them on a different, you know, like baser level. Mm-hmm. And I think he finds more in common with them. So the Wolverine moniker is not just, you know, like a little cool superhero nickname. It's a base element of who he really is. Mm-hmm. Early on in the story, he's got to make his way over to Japan. He's got to go look for Mariko and he's got to have, he's got to have a throwdown with Lord Shinjin. And right. it struck me being a frequent flyer that I am, how in the world <laughs> is Wolverine ever allowed on a commercial airliner? Maybe he flies now, private. Now I know this... <laughs> <laughs> Any airliner, right? I, just, I mean, yeah. I mean, first he has, he has these big blades coming out of his fist, but even if he promises not to do that, you know, walk through the metal detector. I mean, he, he's going to set that off. And Maybe adamantium <laughs> doesn't get picked up by metal detectors in the same way that other metals do. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I was. I don't know. You can't breathe fire. I was always kind of curious because you know the adamantium, (laughs) right? (laughs) The adamantium that encompasses his body also makes him weigh quite a bit more than what he appears to weigh. So much. Just buy three tickets. (laughs) Yeah, I was always thinking like you know they get him on the plane and all of a sudden the plane can't lift off anymore because he's so damn heavy. You know how did that work? But another interesting fact about the adamantium is that's what eventually kills him. Yes. Yeah. Poisoning. Yep. Because his healing factor can't keep up and that kills him. So he probably would have lived so much longer if he had just kept the bone close. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Because I tell you, I mean, I just went through security the other day and they found an American dime in my pocket. So (laughs) I'm just saying that if I had adamantium blazed through my bones, I would probably get flagged and not get get a full search, if you know what I mean. (laughs) <laughs> and then an x-ray and then they go what the heck happened to you oh my goodness <laughs> yeah i'm i'm kind of guessing that if anybody gave wolverine a full search it'd be the last one they conducted probably <laughs> they lose some hands you'd be like that bear yeah. <laughs> quick Another interesting thing they did with Wolverine is they made him the desperate ex-boyfriend. Um, they did, I'm yes. not sure I liked that part. I mean, yes, true love and all that's real cool, yeah. but he's like stalks her. <laughs> well, yeah, he kind of does, but that's the way Wolverine's character is. Whenever he latches onto something, there's no turning him around or getting him to choose a different path. He set his mind to something, that's it. He's going all the way through with whatever it is he's going to do. Yeah, even when... When he and, realizes he messed up in the middle of it, he still has to follow through. That was an interesting thing. Yes. Yeah. 
<laughs> you know, Rachel, I, I agree with you. The whole, you know, oh, I, I she stopped returning my calls. They hung up on me and I'm going to take off. And that didn't resonate with me. But actually, this is going to be unpopular with George. But none of this book resonated with me. I really, it, I really didn't care for it. And I, I don't oh. mean I don't mean I didn't like the art, which I thought was very classic for the 70s. Um, I don't mean that I didn't like the lettering or whatever, but the, the story, it just it felt so shallow for a superhero. It's like, wow, yeah, my girlfriend is hanging out. I'm going to go. Really? Throw, I'm going to go fight. And Rachel, yeah, can you just... do me a favor real quick? And can you see if you can get Moe's phone number? <laughs> we, we need to well, make a replacement, show. I think. Actually, I kind of agree with John a little bit on this. What? Woo! Oh, my God. It's a rebellion. <laughs> Sorry. The ship is being overturned <laughs> hey, and the hey, captain is being walked hey, on the plank. Rachel, what the hell? can you do me Wolverine. a favor and see if you can get Moe's phone number? We're going to replace somebody on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, George. We're kicking you out of your own podcast. It's a mutiny. Oh, my God. <laughs> I suggested this book because I honestly thought with the movies, John would have some kind of thing to relate to this. And Rachel, I figured you've probably read quite a bit of Wolverine in your yeah, time. And you guys would appreciate the greatness of this original storyline. No, it's I so like good. Wolverine. I think Wolverine is B.A. He's super yeah, cool. He's freaking amazing. It, the, he, he was beneath himself in this story yeah. of petty, you know, I have been, oh, I've been forlorn and I'm going to, I'm going to surprise him and fly over there and just show up and throw down. <laughs> and it, I'm like, it is so just p- bitter and vindictive and jealous. And that's not heroic. How dare you ghost well, but, me? I, mean, <laughs> I don't, but it wasn't, I don't think he went there with the attitude of how dare you ghost me. I think he was legitimately concerned for somebody remember wolverine doesn't care for humans at all yeah it's humans could yeah. drop disappear <laughs> off the planet and he'd be just fine running around with the deer and the antelope that's the way except, wolverine is except mariko i mean yeah. he's he's blindly just loyal to her at right. any cost and so yeah remember he you know he comes back home and he finds all these unopened letters that she hasn't read that have been returned to him he's tried to reach out to her and the, the family keeps hanging up on him he's concerned for her well-being if you love loved somebody. Mm. All right. So John, your wife, right? Ro. Ro's yeah. in a different place that you are. And all of a sudden you find out that all of your texts are not being read. She's not answering her phone. Tell me you wouldn't jump on a plane to go find out what was going on with her. Certainly I would. But then I get there and I find out that she's through with me and I'm like, oh, well, I don't have to fight anybody to the death over it. I mean, oh. it's beneath oh, him on. as a superhero. <laughs> come on. Oh, You'd no. fight somebody to the death for your wife. Don't this, tell me you would. This would be a heroic thing for a non-hero, but for a hero, it just seemed like him using his powers for his own personal interest. Well, maybe mm-hmm. that's the difference here then that we need to shine a little bit of light on. Wolverine is not a hero, never wanted to be one. But he is anyway. Wolverine is absolutely about all his own purposes every time. That's who he is. He's kind of an anti-hero, really. He was Stone Cold Steve Austin before there was a Stone Cold <laughs> Steve Austin. I guess I'm a little like out of the loop in this one because the Wolverine, I'm reading now is the head of the Jean Grey Institute for Mutants. Um, well, that's because he fell in love with Jean Grey. So once again, well, it's his love that's his downfall Xavier, and turns him soft. Yeah, Xavier leaves the entire school to him and he's running it. I mean, not the greatest way ever. He sucks with kids, but he's doing it. He's 
standing up. He's, I don't know, being a hero. So I guess that's more my context of Wolverine, which was disconnected to this one. Well, and, you know, he's got a little bit more experience under his belt at the point that you're reading versus this one. This is 1982, his first solo adventure ever outside of the X-Men or Alpha Flight or any of those other groups that he's ever been a part of in the past. And I I think he's on unstable ground. And what happens to a rabid Wolverine when it's on unstable ground? It attacks. It's perfectly in line with his character and all of his belief structures that we've seen up until this point. So I, you know, I know it's, I'm being outvoted here two out of three, but <laughs> well, it's certainly beyond my ability to argue with you whether this is in character for the character, but it didn't grab me as being someone. If I came in, this was my first exposure to Wolverine. Mm-hmm. I don't like him. I don't like him. Okay. But Fair I do enough. like, I, I do like, I the character, the what I have seen historically, but if this is my first exposure, I'm not I'm not gonna go to issue two because I'm like right. this guy's a, this guy's kind of a dick. Yeah. I get that. What about at least there was one nice thing when he gets over to Japan? What about him being Wolverine the Dog Whisperer? I mean, that was at least kind of sweet. You know, he could have just ripped those dogs apart, you know, and yeah, climbed the I wall. Yeah, that was cool. Yep. But yep. he took a <laughs> moment to kneel down and commune with them, and they were all happy to see him at, you know, after that. So at least he's not all bad, right? Yeah, which goes back to your that he, if all the humans got wiped off the earth, he'd be quite happy to run around with he's the antelopes and the wolves <laughs> and the bears. I mean, yeah. John, I know you're a cat guy but you know at least he no, likes no, no, some no, animals no, no. you know or- uh, i'm an animal guy the women in my house are cat people and therefore that makes me a cat guy that's how that <laughs> fair <works>. enough okay <laughs> <laughs> well what did you guys think about the battle scene that he ends up having with lord shinjin at the end you know we find out that his love interest has been you know married off to lord shinjin's business partner because Who's that guy jerk? did some favor to him during his exile and the guy's beaten her and so wolverine's gonna kill him but then you know she begs Wolverine, no, don't kill him. You'll shame me even more. He actually listens to her. So that shows how much he cares about her because mm-hmm. normally it's just snickety, 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 and that's it. <laughs> you know? But then we get to the battle panels of this book, which back in the 80s, every comic book had to have some battle scenes in it. Well, that actually, was just, what it's all about. Yeah, You were going to have that in some part of the book. What do you guys think of the fight between Lord Shinjin and Wolverine? Didn't like it. No. What? <laughs> what? I wow. Had, listen, I had the same problem is that conveniently this invincible super razor bladed guy is beat up with test swords, wooden practice swords. He was poisoned. If, if you replace him with anybody else, a non-hero, it was an awesome battle scene, but they conveniently neutered the superhero so they would have this this ninja fight and it just seemed out of place to me. Art was great. It was cool. If you, if you cut and paste somebody else into that role neat you know but I, it did it struck as like artificial and manufactured to me because they wanted they were in japan therefore they need to have a dojo fight so i'm hearing rachel that john may be outvoted on this point two to, <laughs> two to one you I, like the battle scenes i'm hoping i see his point that it oh, would have no. been hold, hold on oh. hold on Hold on. <laughs> oh, let's not celebrate yet. Okay. <laughs> that it would have been more climactic if it had been, say, like Tony Stark out of the Iron Man suit, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes, right. Yep. But I liked the battle scene because in this comic, I felt like um, in the other backtracks, it felt like the art wasn't really speaking for the story. It was more the okay. wording. And in this one, I felt like they started going more towards the art is telling the story with the writing. Yeah, that, I think you're probably right about that. This was one of the first Frank Miller books. It was certainly the first one he ever did Wolverine on. And Frank Miller does such a good job of conveying story with art that I think Chris Claremont just recognized that, you mm-hmm. know, 
know, mm-hmm. I don't need a lot of words to tell the story of this battle. I mean, there was still a little bit of that talking about how he's hitting the nerve endings yeah. and how that's meant to shame Wolverine by making Wolverine look like he's cheating because Mariko doesn't know that mm-hmm. he was poisoned earlier, yeah. you know, with the shuriken that he was stabbed with when he woke up all groggy and everything. Which I could give them that one because that's really hard to put just in art. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. But I really enjoyed it. I liked the battle scenes, not just for the super cool Frank Miller art style, but also because to me, it led you into what was going to become the issues number two, three, and four of this little mini series of volume one, where we were going to find out, okay, who threw those shrukin and who poisoned him and what happened to him, you know, and all this Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. You know, it's a developing story. This is issue number one, and maybe it falls into the same thing of Howard the Duck number 13, where (laughs) standing alone by itself, it doesn't do so well, but in the context of the entire entire story arc it does much better wait are, are um, you telling me that gene simmons threw the shuriken <laughs> no i'm not telling you gene simmons <laughs> oh, okay. threw the shuriken. Oh, wait, that would be a twist i would read issue two <laughs> if that was the case <laughs> no unfortunately gene simmons or kiss are no longer in this issue oh, they right. are done. but i still really enjoyed this book so much that like i said earlier i started reading the next issue automatically you know my little digital player says would you like to read issue number two and i hit okay without even thinking about it <laughs> And was like four or five pages into this one before I said, oh, crap, I got to write my notes down for issue number one. (laughs) So I really liked it. But it sounds like neither of you would pick up issue number two. Is that right? I mean, I started reading issue two. And okay. then I realized I hadn't put any notes in and <laughs> <laughs> and stop. I got to but, the end of issue number one and was was grateful. I just it it, it wasn't for wow. me. And, and I, I, don't, I don't mean to talk trash about something that you enjoy. I'm thrilled that you love it. I love when people find something that they like this particular book. Not for me. And I mean, I get Fair that. Enough. But the throwing into the hand at the end, which is a villain, I know. So I kind of wanted to mm-hmm. see where it went with that and maybe like give me more of the Wolverine I expected. So so I didn't love this comic, but I wanted to see what they did with it, if that makes any sense. Well, I guess one and a half out of three is <laughs> is even ground for this book. So we kind of halfway recommend this to you, the podcast listener. George, I think you love it enough for all three of us, quite frankly. So we're OK. I definitely do. I mean, it's one of my favorites. I own all four physical issues. So, you know, it's one of my favorites from that era. You know, I understand what John's saying about not liking it and not being a superhero in the classic superhero sense. But when I read Wolverine because of my backstory and issues and knowledge of Wolverine, I'm not expecting that. So maybe that's part of the disconnect. I, I think Wolverine's just a cool character in almost any story you throw him in. So I that's why I picked it for this issue. I can respect that. I do respect that. I just didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly, Professor, you interest me. And if the captain doesn't call on you, someone else will. Namely, your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. If anything in this episode has piqued your interest, we put links in the show notes you can click on to find out more. Catch up on past shows and be alerted every week when a new one drops by subscribing to us wherever you get your podcasts. Also, if you're enjoying what we do, help us keep the lights on by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash genxgrownup. And we love to hear from our podcast listeners, so please write to us at podcast at drawnandpanel.com. And that will wrap it up for this edition of the Drawn and Paneled podcast. Before we get out of here, does anybody have any final thoughts or questions that they would like to ask before we... Oh, Rachel, okay. What do you got for us? 
So we were talking before about Mariko, um, how in this world she's abused forced wife, and then in another parallel universe she's sunfire with all these powers. Right. And it got me thinking, if you guys found out parallel universes were a thing, and that w- another you had superpowers, how would you feel oh. about that? Oh, how would the non-superpowered me feel about the superpowered version of me? Hmm. You go yeah. first, George. Okay. Um, well, pissed off and jealous come to mind to start. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then I think I would want to try and convince myself to come over to my parallel universe and help me with all of the problems that I have in my world. But knowing me, I would probably tell me, no, I'm not going to come help you with your problems just because I have superpowers. I've got my own stuff to deal with. You just grow up and put on your big boy pants and you deal with with it on your earth. <laughs> Man, I'm not a nice person, I'm finding out. <laughs> George yeah, is just finding uh, this out. We've known this for years, George. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fine, smart Alec. What about you? It- Oh, yeah, it's that, that's a toughie. Uh, I mean, first of all, parallel universes do exist, so that's not an if. The problem <laughs> is, would there be a superhero version of me? Uh, I can't imagine anyone more super than me, so it's, it's oh, tough, tough to think. <laughs> no, no. Wow. <laughs> I thought about this in terms of clones, because like people at work have often said, oh, you're so busy, I wish we could clone you, John, ha-ha. And I thought, that's funny, but it sent me down rabbit holes, you know, I'm like, so if I had clones of me, like I could tell this me to work on this and this other me to work on this, how would those other ones feel? And it would be similar to go into the Michael Keaton multiplicity. Yeah, the multiplicity thing, thing right? Dumber and dumber, <laughs> right? Yeah, but I, I think like you, George, I would also be a little jealous. I don't think you could help it. You know, it's basically it's like seeing a coworker who gets promoted above you, seeing another mm-hmm. you that did the same work but gets gets unfair advantages. That would be tough to stomach, and I would be, yeah, I would be jealous as hell. But what are you gonna do? What about you, Rachel? What what if your parallel you was uh, super duper? I get the jealousy part and I would definitely feel that, but then I'd be psyched because that means there's a way I can have power. So you see there's a chance. <laughs> it happened for them. I just got to go to their universe and figure out what happened what for them. What did you do? Did you keep the radioactive spider? Is it still nearby? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'd just be like, okay, so I can be a hero, huh? That's what you're telling me. Well, you know some heroes that do exist in our current universe right now are I do. our patrons. Mm-hmm. Over at patreon.com slash Gen X Grown Up. And I am talking about you. <gasps> Marcus, Mike, Greg, Agile, Slow Mo, Corey, Will, Blaster, Session, Levi, Dana, Dan, Chad, Stee, and Thomas, T2, Stu, and T2. <laughs> See, I, I tried to do it it's, all in one breath and messed up the you, names. You tried oh to go God. too fast. That's because it's such a lovely long list. Man, it what, is. What a great bunch of people. You know, if you want to add your name to my breath ending. <laughs> spiel every week. I want to hear George pass out. Do you want to kill George? That's right. Add your name to our Patreon. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash genxgrownup, sign up, pledge a dollar a month, and I or will more. absolutely try to find out if I can pass out or not in the next reading of this awesome list. Love it. With that said, we will be back in two weeks with another one of our back issue editions of the podcast, and next week with our regular edition. Mm-hmm. Rachel, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. John, always appreciate you. And goodbye from superhero version of me. (laughs) (laughs) And podcast listener, we appreciate you most of all, and we will see you guys next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. 
Gen X Grown Up is a member of the Evergreen Podcast family. Learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. We're also an affiliate of the Geeks Worldwide Radio Network. You can check them out at the GWW.com. Infatuated with comic fandom comes a show to help us remember the talents that have inspired us. Whoa, 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 cut. Oh, come on. It wasn't that bad. It's a bit dramatic. Let's just tell them about the show, guys. We are the Canned Air Podcast. Join us weekly for a comedic trip through pop culture. We also welcome some cool comic creators, as well as some of the voice and screen actors that help shape your childhood. Find us on cannedairpodcast.com and on the Evergreen Podcast Network.